Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Derek, it's good to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me over here today. So I'd love if you would just give a little bit of introduction of, of you and your work, uh, particularly at, you know, at Exabeam, where you are now. Uh, so that the audience can get to know you a little bit before we dive in. Sure. Um, yeah, again, again, my name is Derek Lin. I'm the chief data scientist of Exabeam. You know, um, how I came to um, this work is um, through years of, um, um, I guess, uh, working in the area of uh, fraud detection, cybersecurity uh, defense. Um, and uh, I myself have been trained with an electric, electrical engineering background. And over the years, uh, I've, I've worked in various companies, including RSA Security, Pivotal uh, Software, and uh, recently um, Exabeam. And here, my, uh, my, my charter is to build the next generation information security system for, for Exabeam. Yeah, talk about, so I know your, your big area of work then is, you know, is how data science applies to information security. I guess you're solving those problems in novel in, in different ways using using that uh, that mode of thinking. Right, right, right. So, you know, um, Exabeam is a cybersecurity product company, right? In particular, we build the platform uh, to manage uh, security events, uh, leveraging, um, I guess, advances in big data engineering and data science to improve the threat detection and also to increase the analyst's uh, pro- productivity. <laughs> and this is where really, uh, you know, the data science come into play. Um, I guess I might go into a little more details here in that um, uh, in the past, the, the previous um, you know, conventional way of addressing uh, cybersecurity uh, problems have uh, gone kind of obsolete. Um, uh, and uh, with the data science, right, we, I mean, the goal here is, of course, to help improve the detection rate and also to reduce the false positives of um, of the um, um, of the alerts that we are raising, and so set the stage for me there. So mm-hmm. basically, what we have is sort of all the different vectors and data sources that are, are mm-hmm. showing connections to the system and and access and um, I guess ports and you know all kinds of stuff like a network exactly. and hardware activity and uh, software activity, and you collect all that then into the the product, and mm-hmm. then use the algorithms and research to help identify different patterns that would be indicative or predictive then of attacks or unknown actors or bad actors. Is, is that accurate? 
Yes, yes, in, in, that's that's in fact uh, on a high level, that's accurate. And uh, maybe I can go into details on how we, how we go about addressing this, right? So you all start with the ingesting of, the ingestion of a, a multiple data sources, whatever data source that you can get your hands on, because each data source contains, I should say, you know, the footprint of uh, any user activities, right? And the more such information you have, the better quality your signal you might be, you, you, you have. Yeah, so we start with the data ingestion and, uh, and throughout that data collection step, there's a lot of things going on. And that's where big data engineering comes in. Uh, the data need to be parsed, cleaned, um, uh, enriched, right? So this is a non, there's a non-trivial ETL steps that's going right. through. ETL stands for extraction, transformation, and loading, right? If you're in the database field, you will know the jargon. <laughs> um, so once the data is fully cleaned and parsed and normalized, then that's where the data science comes in, okay? Um, this is where we would say, okay, well, I want to identify, um, uh, first of all, we want to profile the user behavior. And the way we do profiling is we try to identify what are the interesting indicators that we should um, you know, track the user behavior. So for example, um, you might want to say, okay, um, what is the, 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 the you know, what is the typical countries that this, this user is VPN in from? What mm -hmm. are the typical destination hosts that he's going, you know, he connects to, right? So each one of this, it's a, it's a, it can, you know, makes up a little, a, a single indicator for user behavior um, dimension. So the idea is through each dimension, you can, you can profile the, the norm. So the, what is the normal country this user is coming from? What is the normal destinations host that this user, that this user typically connects to? Once you can establish the normal, then you'll be able to flag um, the deviations for the purpose of alerts, okay? Mm -hmm. So imagine you can have a multiples of such a, um, a behavior profiles, each one of them tracking the different dimensions of user behaviors. And, the key, and then once you have that all trained in, you know, with the historical data, when the current event comes in, um, you'll be able to match against those profiles and, and, uh, and, and creating um, you know, a number of alerts, each one basically reflects um, uh, a deviation from a new one for, for that particular profile you are tracking, right? And then at the end, there will be a process that will combine all these different alerts to produce a single score. And that score reflects the degree of the risk of uh, this user activity. And that's how we kind of do um, data science um, to process you know, the large volume of data in order to produce a single score for each user on a daily basis. I'm nominally familiar, and you mentioned fraud detection in your, mm -hmm. your past. I mean, it sounds like pretty much the same process that would keep my credit card from processing a charge that it meets some kind of criteria for, hey, you don't usually go there, or this doesn't look like you who bought five laptops yesterday. Uh, is, that a, is that the same type of approach then? It, it is a, it is a similar, but it's not exactly the same. In fraud, the biggest difference is um, is um, in machine learning. We have this term called uh, supervised learning versus unsupervised learning. In the credit card application, where we do the fraud detection, uh, in that particular application, usually we we would have a large volume of the the, the past known incidents. Okay, so you can use those incidents to guide you. Um, to perform a round of a supervised learning, okay, 
to to recognize what is good and what is bad, right? And and whereas in the in the uh, cybersecurity, you don't really have a lot of uh, insider threat uh, incidents in the past, so you cannot really quite use the same underlying machine learning uh, method that you would have used for fraud detection mm. to uh, to cybersecurity. So in this case, you apply something what we call the unsupervised learning, where you do not have the known um, labels or the known ground truth from the past to guide your learning. So in this case, all you're doing is finding out anomalies, right? And, and, right, uh, right. And, yeah. and, 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 and so as you do establish that profile going forward, mm-hmm. I suppose it, you do maintain your historical data, right, as part of that original... Yes. Profile, but basically saying day one, there's no data against which you can backtest and and show anything. So there's nothing to train on except as soon as you turn it on, you start training. Right. So um, we usually require again because we don't have any you know uh, past um, um, uh, uh, wrong truth. So we do require a non. I, I should say anywhere from thirty days to ninety days of a training data to. To bootstrap the model to profile right. what is normal, mm-hmm. yeah, and that, and that's sort of a kind of a training period for uh, a supervised supervised learning system like this. And one thing I've always been curious about, it I've heard other leaders in data science mm-hmm. talk about it is, you know, where and how that problem solving that R and D lab work that you might think of from from science or data science, where does that connect and how does that connect with the the on the ground software teams you know who are trying to release product on a maybe a regular cadence i don't know if you have scrum or or kanban or something of that nature on the engineering side those two things don't fit together in exactly the same management paradigm and i'm always curious how they can be put together so that one feeds the other but without impeding each other yeah so um I, I would say there's no there, there's no um, um, the right mix how we do things. It's all, it's all kind of up to uh, different um, enterprises how how they do their practice the best. Uh, here in Example, we um, we have a, a clear division between the data science folks folks and also the engineering folks. Data scientist's job is to research the new algorithm, new way of doing things. Uh, and to, to prove the concept, we do a lot of POC. Mm. And at the, end, at the end of successful POC, uh, we produce basically a, a, a set of recipe. Mm. And then we, we hand that over to the data engineering folks and, 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 uh, and our development folks for them to implement. Um, it is one way of doing things in other shops. I think the data scientist um, role can also include the implementation work, right? Um, so they data scientists can become the developers themselves, but what I what we find is it's very difficult to find people with both set of skills, and uh, that's why we have uh, this division between data scientists and engineering, and it, it's it, it works. It's not the most ideal way either, because the most ideal way is you want to have the data scientists developing the developing the implementation implementing the algorithm themselves. But you know, um, but short of that, because mostly because of the shortage of the skills, right? It's very hard. Again, very hard to find people who possess both skills. So we have this division, and uh, that does create some kind of impedance from time to time. But um, it is, um, I guess, it's a ne- it's a necessary headache. 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, so what, what's interesting is that you're going to be speaking in our audience to a lot of a lot of engineers, you know, who are probably interested in picking out more on right. on your side of the fence, mm -hmm. and also in how to best work together with those two disciplines, right? Because the the power from what each of you do is going to be magnified by the other. What are your recommendations to the engineers that they can become? First of all, better colleagues for the data science group because it's going to become part of every business. I mean, it's hard to imagine that it won't be more and more important. Mm -hmm. And okay. and then beyond that, you know, if they want to actually start to learn more and and do more in the space, coming from the engineering seat, just curious if you have any advice for the engineers in the audience on on how to be better colleagues and how to learn better in your space. Right. Um... Well, you know, it, it, for engineers who want to come to data science work, um, there are plenty of resources out there, right? Um, Coursera offer a lot of data science course, but uh, I wouldn't. I, I would say um, you don't. You don't have to try to be data scientist. Okay, uh, a lot of time, what a product company like what Exabeam needs is someone who can help implement. The, the, the core data science algorithm. And that process of implementation often often involves the issue you know, in regard to the scalability and stability of the system or the algorithm. Mm -hmm. right? So big data engineering is um, uh, often have to go hand in hand with the data science work. And that, that's where I see a lot of value engineers can, can add in um, knowing how to, um, you know, knowing how to scale up the, the algorithm uh, so that things can be parallelized. And that by itself, you know, that's just purely software engineering work. It's it, um, it, it just need to know what, uh, what, what um, you know, the data scientists want you to do. Uh, and uh, you help us scale up the algorithms. Right. So, so you're saying from the lab that the POC gets created, uh, but that does not necessarily mean it's created in a way or engineered in a way that can tolerate the That's scale right. of production. And so that, right. that essentially reliability, scalability, mm -hmm. and uh, robustness of engineering is really then what's missing as you, you scale something from lab to production. Exactly. I, I, would, I would say a data science is just as kind of a, it's a, it's a critical component, but it's not everything. Yeah, it's, every, it's, it's all the things that are surrounding the data science work that, 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 that supports the data science work that, that, that makes the product, right? And I know you, you are a researcher and you, you know that the data science work, you talked about it earlier, that it has changed, or at least in, you know, in, in InfoSec, the, the old methods don't work. So I'm gathering that, that it's necessary. It absolutely has to be done this way now because the old methods have been outmoded or, or essentially beaten. Right? There's just too right. much data. So this is this is a right. necessary the, the old methods, evolution if we're right. ever going we're to become methods, able like to do better secure SIM software. SIM is that for, uh, security information and events management system. Right? Uh, conventional SIM they leverage signature based approach, and uh, and as well as the correlation rules. Mm -hmm. These are highly static and uh, deterministic, and they are not very flexible. In fact, they are also very brittle. 
they are often they, they usually have a low um, you know, detection rate and, uh, and, and does incur high volume of those um, um, uh, false positives as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in, the, in this game, um, we, we all know that you know when you cry when, when you cry the wolves too much, nobody will listen to you alerts anymore. So the new method, um, which is much more of a data-driven um, um, approach compared to the human knowledge-driven approach from the past, right? This new data-driven uh, method uh, is much more flexible and much more adaptable to the new data um, in the way of uh, profiling the user behavior, as I mentioned, that takes the signals from over time, right? Rather than, again, sig- signature or correlation-based rule that only have the visibility on this on any events, on, on, a, event, on a per event basis. Um, yeah, so so having the ability to look at the signals uh, from over time, and also a- able to applying you know the formal technique uh, in order to produce a probabilistic score that does reflect the actual risk of the uh, anomalies. You know this is the new method, a new data driven approach that leverages data science um, to produce a better signals. Understood. How yeah. does how does this type of methodology apply to application security that uh, sort of not on the network side or the, the threat vector side, but can you use these tools to or methods to also think about how you would you would probe an application for vulnerabilities? Is anybody applying the research that way? Um, applying the when you mean identifying the applications that may have a uh, Vulnerabilities. Yeah, I just, is there any is there any connection between those those fields? I've had other I guests see. that that work on application security where they're you know they're really working hard to okay. um, make yeah. sure that the code is secure. And I'm I'm curious if these two fields intersect in any way. So one can think of an application as a as an entity, no different than users. Mm-hmm. So where we profile user behavior, we can also profile the application behavior, mm-hmm. um, the number of a I don't, know, I don't know, child process that they spawn or the, the parents process they come from, the, um, the, uh, the typical directories they are running from. You know, these are all kind of like the norm of the things that you are right. you know, modeling after. And next time, if you see something deviates from the norm, uh, that's a cause for alerts. You could know, for example, yeah. that a certain library mm-hmm. had a, a vulnerability that had been exploited or... Or something because right. it started making abnormal calls or something of that nature. Exactly, yes. So it's all really part of like one huge pie. I mean, security. Just talk on the macro level about about security. Now, I think that there's so much investment, so much work. You know, endless numbers of, of vendors and people trying to solve this problem. And you know, are we getting better? I mean, this is this is a critical issue in every single thing we do right down to now, you know, tiny little devices all over our homes are, are online. It is, um, are, we, are we winning the war, you know, so far? Uh, yeah, I've been with the fraud detection, I've been working with banking fraud detection work for many years, so I know better. Um, <laughs> so in there, it's, and I imagine a similar here, it's always a cat and mouse game, right? Right. <laughs> you just need to be a little better than your uh, opponents, and they also do the same. Right, right. <laughs> so it's a never-ending game. Are we better? Um, we are better compared to what we had before. Right. 
um, where we apply the signature-based approach, right? We now, we, these days, the vendors are talking, detecting insider threats, right? right? And that is not something that we could have done before. Um, but, and then I'm sure, you know, whoever want, you know, the, the bad guys, they would go one step up and then it'll be the next, you know, it'll be, it'll be our turn to be better than them, you know, in the next round. So is there, is there the dark side of the force where data scientists are in a lab someplace trying to do the opposite of what you're doing to beat your work? Yeah. So there's some talk about, um, the bad guys is leveraging machine learning and data science to, to conduct the attacks. Um, on the, at least on the insider threats or um, for the for the things I've seen here, uh, we have we have not seen that. Yeah. Right. Um, how, however, it wouldn't surprise me, right, um, if it, if the news um, come across my desk one day. Right. Um, yeah. Right. So you just have to stay ahead of the curve. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, put your futurist hat on. You know, what do you expect for the next this five years of of work is this just uh, bigger cats and mice, or you know, uh, are there particular evolutions that will come in your work that, that you're looking forward to? Yeah. So on the data science side, um, I would say there we, the the projection will be similar to what I've seen in other application area. Um, all the risk detection systems start with a signature based approach, right? And that's where we were before, and uh, in the in its evolution path. Uh, we are migrating over now to the user behavior-based approach, which is a little more data-driven approach. And at this stage, um, the approach tend to be linear, okay, um, in order to to, um, to to allow the system to have a high degree of a high degree of explainability. No, yeah. And in the next stage, I can imagine where we will where we will want to move over to the non-linear-based approach, right? And that's where the, you hear a lot of buzzwords these days around the deep learning, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so that's where deep learning might apply in the future. Um, in fact, if not, here already, um, depending, on, depend, depending on the use cases that we are looking at. Um, so that's where I kind of see things, right? Starting from the signature-based approach to the linear um, machine learning-based approach, and next going to the non-linear machine learning-based approach. Then that's on data science side. On the data engineering side, I do see there's, a, there's going to be a constant challenge of uh, trying to learn from ever-increasing size of the, the data. Right? That's, that's more on the engineering side. On data engineering side, where you just have more and more data throw, throwing to our way every day. And how do you get or extract signals out of that volume of data is always a constant challenge. And that's, um, I, I expect the field to continue to evolve there. Well, last thoughts, I guess, closing thoughts, you know, you mentioned uh, 20, 30 years, I won't press you for an actual number, but you know, advice mm -hmm. for people that are, are in the middle of their career, you know, and uh, maybe they're 10 years in, and what do you wish you knew back then? And what do you advise on uh, professional development and career development, you know, now, looking back on your own career? On my own career? Uh, interesting questions. And, um, <laughs> perhaps I, uh, I, I, in my earlier career, I was moving around a lot. Uh, and uh, now that looking back, I think that may not have been the best thing to do, right? And I uh, wish I could have a better mentor. Mm -hmm. 
to guide my um, career path. And I guess that's something that everybody wishes for. But um, and these days, given the senior position, I am playing the mentor uh, role to many of my junior um, data scientists. So I guess um, the advice I would uh, have for people of your audience is try to find, you know, you know, if you're on the junior side, I guess, you know, try to identify or find the mentors that who can help you um, to guide you in your career path. Excellent. Well, Derek, thanks so much for joining today. I really appreciate the insights. Good to have you on. Well, thank you so much for inviting me over. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.